us go to the uh, Dude Mayor Hotline here. The definitive, I have a treat for all of you. The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Abstinence by Matthew Plessa. Matthew, uh, welcome to the Mike Church Show, brother. Thanks for the uh, uh, thanks for the uh, writing the book, and thanks for taking uh, taking some time out with us today. It's just in time for tomorrow is Mardi Gras, Shrove Tuesday, and then Wednesday Lent begins in earnest. Wednesday, so we could all use a crash course on fasting and abstinence. How are you, Matthew? I'm doing great. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Did I say, did I pronounce your, your last name correctly? If I didn't, please, please forgive. It's uh, Matthew Pleasy. Pleasy. Okay, Pleasy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you also have another book out about uh, the catechism, correct? Yes, the Roman catechism explained for the modern world, yes. Yeah, uh, you may have gotten an endorsement blur from some guy named Mike Church, I think. Uh, <laughs> you know, I might have. I remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> I might have gotten an advanced copy back in, uh, the, uh, back in the summer. Um, hey, what's the reaction to that book been like? Uh, to the catechism book? It's yeah. been really good. Um, yeah, really good. It's based on a series of articles I wrote over three years for Catholic Family News, so it's our way to really codify that and get people the doctrine that they need in this, you know, the difficult time based on traditional church teasing, and we just wanted to make it available long after the newspaper finished its uh, finished its course. So, so far it's uh, pretty good, but the fasting book naturally is even more popular right now with Lent coming up. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So uh, you wrote that for Catholic Family News. That means that you are an RCT, my friend. You are a radical RTC. You're a radical traditionalist Catholic, and you're wanted by the SPLC. You know, I, when I saw that news article, I thought maybe I should look up and see if my name's on this list somewhere, because I write for all those people, basically, <laughs> on that list. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's the way that cookie crumbles, isn't it? <laughs> Guilt yeah. by association. So now, so so now, the, and the real reason I wanted to have you on was so that I could be guilted by association. Uh, so mm-hmm. that, yeah, yeah, I wanted to, you know, all I want for Christmas is to be on the SPL's uh, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center's hit list. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's an honor, actually, if you're on the list. But it, it really is serious because they really will attempt to make the— Matt Gaspers and Brian McCall and anyone else and Brother Andres at the St. Benedict Center mm-hmm. make their life miserable uh, because they're just miserable human beings. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, it's it, it's sad that it happened. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about, about, uh, about fasting because uh, one of the things that we have learned in the last five years since uh, Brother Andre and I did a show about this on mm-hmm. Ash Wednesday five years ago, I want to say, or four years ago, and it's the thing that's come back into vogue for many people or back into practice because it's healthy. And that is this thing called intermittent fasting. Uh-huh. And intermittent fasting basically is kind of almost like a diet plan where you can uh, you basically commit that you'll go 16 hours without eating. But during the eight hours when you're not eating, I mean, when you are eating, you can eat whatever you want. <laughs> now, uh-huh. that's not the kind of fasting that we're going to be doing during Lent. So... How should your uh, your average uh, Catholic or even Protestant or Evangelical that is going to take up some fasting this Lent, uh, how should they approach this? You know, it's a, it's a good question. So I obviously go over more in the book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence, and it's also based on a number of articles I wrote over two, three, four years for A Catholic Life or the Fatima Center or Catholic Family News. 
And basically what I've done is I've tried to make available the forgotten history of how do we get from the way our forefathers fasted in the early church to now, where nobody fasts and nobody abstains. And, and why do we lose this? And I really detail that forgotten history. And part of that is I try to assert, here is how you can observe a traditional Lent like our forefathers did. And I basically base that off of St. Thomas Aquinas, who at, at that time said, every single weekday of Lent is a day of fasting. The meal can never be had before noon, usually never before 3 o'clock, preferably after sunset, an invitation the old Jewish tradition. Additionally, no meat at all for all of Lent, including on Sundays, and no animal products. Because that means no dairy, no butter, no cheese, uh, because our forefathers also gave that up. They gave up all of those delights because those were gifts that God gave to man, and we take away all these consolations to go back to the diet that the world had before Noah. That's also why in the very early church you would not be allowed to have wine, because wine was a gift that God gave to Noah, and you take away all of your gifts to go back. And this was obligatory for centuries, actually, this kind of a strict fast, and our forefathers did it not to lose weight, not for intermittent fasting. Mm -hmm. They did it to become closer to God. And uh, I actually published as well a kind of a fasting calendar in a Catholic life, and I not only the Lenten fast, but there's all these other fasts throughout the year people no longer talk about, the Apostles' Fast, the Assumption Fast, fasting on different vigils. Even Saturdays were mandatory days of absence in America until 1833. So everybody knows about Fridays. Nobody talks about Saturdays were obligatory for a very, very long time into relatively recent memory, just a couple hundred years ago. So what I've really done is I try to make people aware, like, this is how fasting used to be done with the rigor of the, our forefathers and the saints in the past. It basically comes down to fast one-third of the year, abstain from meat two-thirds of the year, and try to get closer year after year to that ideal. But if you, if you want to do anything at all, do it during Lent, because Lent is the, the crown jewel of Catholic fasting. Pope Benedict XIV in the 1700s said its observance is a very badge of Christian honor, and if we grow last in our observance of Lent, it would be to the detriment of God's glory, to the disgrace of the Catholic religion, to public woe, to private calamity. There's just a myriad of reasons why, if you haven't been fasting and you want to get into it, you got to get into it in Lent. Well, obviously, Lent begins Wednesday. Um, the way we have approached it in uh, in the past um, has not been the, the the route that you cited that St. Thomas uh, said with the whole uh, with the absence from all animal products. Um, we do the daily, or we have been doing the daily. Uh, there's no meat. Um, uh, except on Sundays, and uh, I did not know the the rule about not having the one meal though until noon. Now, when did that? Yeah, that was for a long time. That and and, I, and if you go to a Catholic Life, if anybody's listening, I recently published a calendar. It's one of the recent articles. If you not a calendar, a chart, and it shows actually how that changed over time. Like the time and the meal was stipulated, even how big the meal is. So you talk about these two small meals. People say, you know, you can have one meal, two small meals. The first small meal is actually called a frustulum. The second one's actually called a collation. I tried to get people to use these exact words. The Church even mandated how many ounces those could be. So it wasn't just, oh, a small one does that. No, the frustulum in the morning can be no more than two ounces for a long time, and the evening one can be no more than eight ounces. And what you could have 
also differed. There was a period of time the Church legislated that certain kinds of fish could be had, but they had to be cold, they couldn't be warm, because warm would be closer to to a meal. So that whole kind of how strict this used to be observed has really been lost. Even in the very early Church, we think about, you know, Lent is a time of eating, you know, fish on Fridays, and hopefully throughout all the year, but in the very early Church, fish was not allowed to be had during Lent. That was not introduced until the time of St. Gregory, around the 7th century. Beforehand, that was too close to flesh meat. You had to go entirely vegan beforehand. And even at the very beginning of Lent, you were asked to not eat anything for 40 hours, since our, our Lord was dead in the tomb for 40 hours. And same thing on the end of Lent. Don't eat anything Good Friday until Holy Saturday for 40 hours. So this was very structured. And the time of the meal, too, that changed as well. It was um, it was really about the time of the 1917 Code of Canon Law that noon went away. For a long time in the early Church, it was sundown. By the high medieval ages, it got to 3 o'clock, and then it kind of moved its way down to noon by pre-trend in the 15th century, stayed at noon for a very long time. And then the new Code of Canon Law in 1917 um, no longer stipulated a meal time, but for a long time, the, the time of the meal was an important aspect of fasting. And St. Thomas said at his time, 3 o'clock was significant because our Redeemer died at 3 o'clock. So there right. was that significance. Now, 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 what did you call it? Is it a frustulum? A frustulum. Frustulum. Yes. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. I, I, and that was relatively new as well. So the idea that one could have anything in the morning was really not widely available until the time of Pope Leo the Thirteenth at the end of the eighteen hundreds. Beforehand, there was no morning snack. There was there was nothing at all that could be had. The collation, that evening snack, uh, was introduced. Um, uh, quite a long time ago, but it was mainly done around the 8th, ninth, or so century for, for monks who really needed uh, nourishment in the evening because they have a very hard manual labor. If you've read about all the work they did to cultivate the land in Europe over the centuries, right. they had a very demanding lifestyle. So they had their main meal, you know, they, uh, and by that time it was moving down to around the 3 o'clock zone. Um, even if you stayed to sunset, it was just too much work to do without a snack, so they instituted that snack, and very early on that might just be a glass of wine or some sort of a, a, a beverage, um, and, and that expanded over time to about eight ounces. And even St. Alphonsus talks about eight ounces as well. Uh, uh, the author, Matthew Pleza, is on our uh, Doomaker Hotline, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Abstinence. I've done the 40 hours fast. Mm-hmm. Twice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you need God's grace to get through that one. That is, uh, I just call it a water fast. Um, mm-hmm. It's actually really good for you, though. If you've studied anything about the, the keto diet, uh, you don't get to ketosis. Actually, if you're if you're trying to do this as a dieting plan, not for not not for graces and for God's glory, um, but you don't get to to to, to ketosis, or uh, which is what keto is is shorter. You don't get to ketosis for almost three days. You you have to go. Your body has to like be deprived of all intake for it to go like. All right, I got a bunch of dioxin stored up on my fat cells. <laughs> I going to go ahead and start burning those, um, uh, and, and to, to actually get to burning off the uh, the calories or the, or, or, the, or to using the fat 
um, for energy. So uh, I have I'm I'm one of those that has actually done the the Good Friday or or I think it was probably on um, Monday Thursday from that lunch until Sunday uh, Saturday evening or Sunday morning after the vigil. Uh, was concluded. Uh, yeah, that's a difficult one, the 40 hours. Yeah, it is. That's called the Passion Fast, historically, as people refer to that as so. The Passion Fast. Now, yep. as, as the fast gets edited, though, or, and as it gets more lax, I mean, today we're at the point now where the only requirement, if you're a, if you're a Catholic, ladies and gentlemen, the only requirement you have during all of Lent is Fridays. Uh, that's basically it, and it's not even that. It's a, it, and it's just abstinence. Because you know, most mm -hmm. people here in New Orleans will do something like they'll say, "I'm going to uh, give up coffee," for example. They'll g g give up mm -hmm. coffee. The, the 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 priest at our chapel, Father Damien, the first uh, Lent that we had with him two years ago, he was like, "I don't want anyone to come to me and tell me that you gave up M and M's for Lent." That's not a that's not a Linton sacrifice, um, and, and, and I'm going to actually talk when I do my talk tomorrow in Tampa. I'm actually going to talk about this subject here, because mm -hmm. uh, if you do read up on the fathers, and I just read uh, Don Prosper Garanger's think about well, why 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 the fast, why mm -hmm. the abstinence, um, and it's uh, it, we know that God blesses us with the bounty of the earth. And that he wants us uh, uh, to be able to enjoy it. So it is mm -hmm. it, 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 to forego it is to forego his the, the bounty that he has left uh, uh, that he has given to us. This right. is and if you go all the way back to the garden too, because if you think about the first sin of man was pride by eating something he was told not to, and he thought he was better. But the second sin was gluttony because he ate of it. So yeah. fasting really goes to undo the original sins of mankind. It's very much against uh, nature to sin in that way. If Eve, if it had only been a fast and abstinence day for Eve, <laughs> then uh, <laughs> I have avoided all this. <laughs> but, but let me ask you a question, because you, you did the research on this. So in, mm -hmm. is, is, is the church in her wisdom seeing that there is less of a need for the faithful, the fast, or is she... No. Okay. No, not at all. I mean... But she's even, teaching this, historically, though. She, okay, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, but historically, like, you look at St. Basil the Great, he famously asserted, and this is something that comes to me during fasting periods, is he, was, he said, fasting is a weapon of protection against the devils, and your guardian angel stays closer to you by the degree to which you fast. So that was kind of the mindset, too, of the very early Church and of the Apostolic Fathers and the Church Fathers. But over the centuries, and I go over this in detail in the Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence, a really interesting history. I had never known 80% or more of it, but basically is it was for seemingly good reasons that somebody, you know, a Pope granted a dispensation here, or a bishop petition, all oh, these people can't fast these days, let's change this, and it just withered it down to nothing. And then as soon as you give people an exception, they cling to that, and the next generation, that exception is now the standard. So when we talk about, you know, fellow traditional Catholics, I want to become a traditional Catholic, I want to observe traditional fasting, many of them pull out, well, here's the 1917 code, it's more traditional than the current one, so this must be what we should try to do. And, and you know, at a surface level, that seems to make sense, but the more I went into it, that was very false, because the 1917 code 
it really took, there was a lot of exceptions. Certain countries weren't observing fasting like others. And it took uh, the lowest common denominator and really solidified it. By that time, the time of the meal was eliminated by that. Same thing as well, um, there, there was a lot of changes, too, to Holy Days of Obligation. There used to be, by 1642, 36, uh, 36 Holy Days of Obligation, in addition to Sundays, officially. And that was watered down, too. So the same time fasting is being watered down, Holy Days are. Like, for instance, before, and here's an example, if there was a vigil, like, for instance, Halloween, and it were to fall on a Sunday, you, you don't fast on Sundays. You never have. It's never been obligatory. So the fast was anticipated to Saturday. So you would fast on Saturday to prepare for Sunday. Sunday would be the vigil that wouldn't be observed, and then the Holy Day would be on Monday. The 1917 Code eliminated that. It said, don't bother ever anticipating it again. And that kind of went away. And that was one of many things that went away. So it, it was for seemingly good reasons. Same things, too, with um, the time of masses. So it really wasn't until the 1950s ever that we could have evening masses widespread. And that was really done. I talk about this in the book, too, because it's important for the Eucharistic fast. And it was done as a really response to World War II. There was a lot of bishops petitioning, especially in Europe and Eastern Europe, saying people can't go to Mass during the day because of the ravages of war. We need And priests can't travel around that much. We need to have it in the evening. So it was moved to the evening, and next thing you know, the Eucharistic fast, the fast we had before Holy Communion, is drastically watered down. It was, it was observed almost from, from apostolic times for nothing, not even water, until Holy Communion. And that changed in 53, another change in 57, but it was unfortunately seemingly good reasons on a surface level, exceptions granted, and then that's really what we find ourselves in today. That's why I advocate so much that just because it's not obligatory doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing, doesn't mean we shouldn't be rising up and saying, hey, I'm a committed Catholic in this age when so few practice with, with the faith and so, so few uh, do not do so. I'm going to voluntarily do what my forefathers did. I'm going to offer up the penance for the clergy, for the church, for the country, for everything that I can for the conversion of my family, and I'm committed to that. And that's what I'm trying to get more people to do. So if you go, for instance, to onepeter5.com backslash fast, we're running a fellowship there this year, and it's for all year, but we're trying to get a lot of people to start in Lent to join our fellowship, which is a telegram group of other people who we want to support each other in this. We're all committing to this fast, and we're here to answer questions for each other and support each other, because it is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it, because it's a sacrifice worth doing. Matthew, please, is on our Dudemaker Hotline here, and then the uh, book is The Catholic's Guide to Abstinence and uh, Fasting. Um, I was checking the boxes as you were going, as you were uh, ticking out the benefits there for the family, for the priest, for the clergy. Uh, how about, especially if you're a tratty out there, how about for the protection of sacred tradition and, 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 the, and the traditional mass, which is under assault Absolutely. from all quarters today? The FBI's mm -hmm. coming after us, the Pope's coming after us, the bishops are after us. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So uh, you could offer your fast up for that. I'm just, I, I, you know, it never occurred to me that you could actually write a history of how to eat. Yeah. What, yeah. The what, thing what, is, though, I, there was nothing else out of it. I looked for this for Okay, for so you were looking for it. So, so that was the genesis of it. Then you were going, like, well, there's nothing for me to read. Yeah, and there was nothing. And I wanted to know, how did we get to this stage? We got two days of obligatory fasting. Most people don't even do absence year long, even though it's really part of canon law. Of course, it's absolutely obligatory in Lent. 
And how did we get to that stage? You know, what, what, what happened? And then especially when you look historically, you're like, wow, these things fasted all the time, Wednesdays and, and Fridays. And that's the more I got into it. I realized Wednesdays used to be obligatory days of fasting for a long time. That ended around the 11th century. A few countries like Ireland kept it till the 17th century. But it's really a sad story of just all around the world, people just acquiescing to the demands of modern life really accelerated after the Renaissance. One of the biggest changes to fasting was 1741, when Pope Benedict XIV uh, allowed meat to be eaten during Lent for the first time ever, and thus partial abstinence was born. Certain days in Lent, you, you were not allowed to have meat except at your main meal. So you couldn't have it for the frustulum or the collation if you had one, but you could have it at the main meal. That was the genesis of that. That was an acquiescence after the Renaissance. To people really wanted exceptions. They were growing tired. So he reluctantly did so. At the same time, he issued that famous statement calling Lent the badge of Christian honor, imploring people to observe it with strictness. But I'm, I'm afraid that it just continued to unravel after him, because when you give people an exception, they really run with it, I've seen. So 1741, Pope Benedict Fourteenth, and he's responding to people pleading with him, uh, because uh, what was going on in 1740, uh, in 1741 that was taxing the, the daily life of someone in, in Italy or in Christendom? Yeah, I mean, the, the interesting thing was it's not a whole lot different than what occurred beforehand. You know, there were always wars. There was always a, a, still very much an agrarian lifestyle of them. And, you know, the world had not yet moved to factories and that sort of urbanization that, that, that we're familiar with. And it was just continued clamoring. It was the politics as well uh, uh, affecting him that, you know, that's why he, he issued that. And what was really interesting was, I, I, I never even heard about somebody talk about this before, while he did this, he, for some reason, explicitly forbid the consumption of fish and meat at the same meal on those particular days, in addition to Sundays and Lent. So he's saying Sundays you can have partial absence, but for some reason he was really against surf and turf. He could not have fish <laughs> and meat at the same meal. Surf and turf. <laughs> the old alehouse restaurant would be a poop out of luck then. <laughs> no surf and turf. <laughs> Matthew, please, is on our Dude Maker Hotline, the definitive guide to Catholic fasting and abstinence here, just in the, in a nick of time for Lynn. Okay, I know some people that are going to go like, look, I'm as tratty as anyone out there, buddy, and I'm 65 years old, and I can't do that kind of fast. Um, this is the objection you're, you're going to get. You know, Technically, because now I'm a geezeroid, I'm <laughs> I'm 61, I could actually go like, uh, I can invoke the plus 60 rule and go like, hey! <laughs> So yeah. uh, I'm not going to. I'm not. I'm not going to because mm -hmm. um, uh, I hear. Uh, I, I hear the call, and I see what's going on around me. And uh, uh, fasting is 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 a is a daily part. Um, I don't do it every day, but um, some days, Matthew, it's just like you know, if uh, if 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 my lovely producer decides that she's going to uh, whip something up and it's not in Lent. And she's gonna say, hey, "Hey, I made biscuits and 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 eggs just as a as a as a head nod." To, hey, you know, she went to the effort. I'm just gonna go ahead and say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I'll have some." Um, uh, so some of it is habitual. You're right. Um, right. There there may be other reasons for it, but mm -hmm. and another important distinction: fasting is different than abstinence. So while you reach sixty, you're no longer obliged to fast. You do still have to abstain. That never ends. So a lot of people conflate, too. 
fasting versus absence. Absence will remain for the rest of your life from meat on on, on uh, Fridays. Yeah, I'm good with that. That's not the same as fasting. Same thing, too. There's a, always been exceptions. I wrote an article called At What Age Do Catholics Fast? You can find it on A Catholic Life. I actually went through a lot of older catechisms, winning back hundreds of years to look for those exceptions, and they basically were the same. You know, if you were elderly, if you were pregnant and nursing, and if you were sick, you wouldn't have to fast. So always use common sense if you are in those categories and you're not obliged to under under law now or even under previous law, you might still be able to if you're well and, and if you'd like to and, and if you want to offer this a sacrifice, that certainly would be good to do. Um, but you're not you don't have to. But just keep in mind fasting is different from absence. And keep as well in mind like there's so many opportunities coming up. E- even tomorrow. Tomorrow you know is Mardi Gras. The, but it's also the votive feast of the holy face of our Lord Jesus Christ deformed in the Passion. And, and that feast was instituted in reparation for Mardi Gras. So even if we're not fasting tomorrow, we should, even though Lent isn't starting until Wednesday, we might even want to start doing some penance tomorrow to ease into it for Wednesday because we want to make reparation for the sins of Mardi Gras. That's something that our Lord actually asked for in an apparition in 1938. When he appeared to a nun, so and that's also where the forty hours devotion comes from. It comes from that feast and that period of reparation for sins of Mardi Gras. So let's not go to excess as we prepare for Lent, but we can always look at opportunities to continue to to do some penance even when we haven't yet crossed the starting line of the Lenten fast. Yeah, and uh, you'd also be reminded as well that <clears throat> at, at, when uh, Our Lady talked to the children in Fatima, what did she ask them to do? Prayer and fasting. Prayer yeah. and fasting. It's always the same. Every time she makes a request to someone that she uh, that she appears to, she always says uh, uh, prayer and fasting, prayer and fasting. Um, mm-hmm. And our Lord said some demons are only driven out by prayer and fasting. You know, and that's something I talk about in the book, too. Our divine Redeemer fasted. He did not fast for any reason other than to give us a great example. He didn't have sins to redeem. Nope. He didn't need to overcome his passions. He didn't need to go on a diet. There was all these reasons you think about people, why they fast now, good or bad. Our Redeemer didn't do it for that. He did it for us. He gave it us the example. So if he who is perfect can literally fast for 40 days, why would modern man say, I don't have to anymore, it's two days, I'm only going to do two days. The Redeemer fasted 40 days. We should fast 40 days. Well, then they're going to say, yeah, but he was God. Uh, two natures, human, mm-hmm. divine. And the human nature, I mean, the, the gospel tells us after the 40 days he was hungry. And, right. and, and what else does the gospel tell us, Matthew? After the 40 days he was hungry, what happened? Beelzebub pops up goes like, now I got him. Mm-hmm. I can tempt him now. He, 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 he's hungry. Of course, the, the, uh, the church fathers and the doctors tell us, of course, that the uh, that the devil did not uh, that he didn't know he was still kind of the jury was out that that he was the, was the son of God. All right, before you go, final def, final thing. When when the ch- church says when when the Catholic Church says in its rule fasting, what does she technically mean? What is the mm-hmm. what is the what is the actual? If you're writing a Catholic dictionary. And I said, all right, Matthew, give me the Catholic Dictionary definition of fasting. What What is it? Mm-hmm. So, so, again, that goes back to the difference we were talking about before of fasting versus absence. People conflate them. 
but they're two really different uh, distinctions. So fasting refers to um, how much and how often you're eating. Okay. Abstinence is really referring to what you can and cannot eat. So fasting is one meal a day, as we talked about. It, the time of that meal has changed. How big that meal is, it, it should be generally what one, one meal is, you know, for you, for your average. It doesn't mean go out to the buffet and, and break the whole fear <laughs> of the law because you're eating, you know, a nine plate at once and it's your dinner. No, you're eating one sitting, once a day, an average amount for yourself. That is what fasting is. Uh, absence refers to the things you cannot eat. So for, for obviously on Fridays, we will never eat. Uh, uh, never eat meat. Never. Traditionally, no meat at all in, in all of Lent as well, even no animal products. That's why Easter eggs are a big thing. That's why, you know, a lot of these cultures have great uh, recipes for different desserts until you can finally bring up the milk again. But again, fasting is what, uh, how often you eat, and then absence is what you cannot eat. Okay, and uh, there is a, there is a support group, 1peter5.com forward slash fast. Correct. Okay. Yep. And you can find out more information in there about there's different tiers. You can choose to commit to each. We're asking everybody to commit to at least tier one, which includes this Lenten fast. Uh, but then you can look at the other tiers. You can maybe work your way up over the years. You can add in, for instance, uh, St. Martin's Lent, which is the Advent fast leading up to Christmas. That's in a different tier. If you want to do that this year or another year, you don't have to let us know. It just here's the, here's the goal standards. Here, here's what you can work towards. Commit to at least tier one. There's a link on there to my book, The Definitive Guide to Catholic Fasting and Absence. You can get the whole history as well as how to put it into practice. And at the very bottom is a link to our Telegram group where we'll be here to answer questions for people. And we really want to support one another in this. Of course, I think it's important to conclude by saying that our Lord was always very intent on telling people to be careful about letting others you know you're fasting. Mm -hmm. I feel like so many people take that to such an extreme now. If they took, for instance, our Lord in the same sentence is telling people, go into your room to pray and close the door. He did not mean, well, that means no rosary processions outside. You shouldn't go to Mass. People see you praying. You shouldn't be praying in public in a pew. If you took it to that extreme, it would mean that. That's obviously not what he's meaning. People take fasting, though, that extreme. What our Lord was saying was, don't don't go around in the street corners and make yourself look hungry and ask for pity and do it all for human glory. If you're hungry, you're fine. If somebody asks you and you're at work, why can't you join us for this luncheon today? You could say it's Lent and I'm fasting. That's fine. There's nothing sinful about that. That's different than, hey, everybody, I, want to let, I wanted to announce I'm fasting, and I'm better than everybody else. I just want to let you know that. You know that <laughs> so the whole purpose is different, and people forget about that. And I find that with fasting in particular, that there's a lot of misunderstandings about this. There's nothing wrong with saying you're fasting. There's nothing wrong we're joining a group like this and supporting one another to help us get through this fast and to do it for the right reason. Just keep it all in mind what the purpose is always. You know, there's a great scene in the, mo in the movie uh, F. Murray Abraham was in where you play that uh, monk, I, I can't remember his name, but it was about the Siege of Vienna. And uh, he and his uh, his companion finally, is, is, is his fellow brother, they finally make it to Vienna. And King Leopold uh, brings him in. He goes, whoa, it's been a long journey. You must be really hungry. Sit down. I prepared a feast for you. And F. Murray Abraham goes, no, we're fasting. Give that meat to the poor. <laughs> and they had walked. They had walked to Vienna from somewhere in Belgium or Bohemia or wherever. No, 
Give that meat to the poor. That's the rigor of the past. You know, (laughs) you're probably familiar with the story of Garcia Moreno, the famous Catholic president of Ecuador. He was gunned down after leaving mass. Oh, you're stabbed. He was stabbed. Yes. He was, and he was murdered by the Freemasons. He wrote, God does not die with his own blood on the steps as he died. But there's a famous story in a book I wrote, I read about him. And on it, he was, he was going throughout all of Ecuador. He was on foot, and it was a very long journey. It was a whole day journey. Him and his companions were basically starving. They had no food. They got to a camp at night. The only thing they found there was the remains of a chicken. Uh, but it was Friday. And he told his people he would rather starve to death and die than eat meat on a Friday. So that is the rigor uh, that he lived his life by after his own conversion, after he went to to Italy early in his life. Does a 12-ounce uh, oatmeal-style beer count as a fristulum? <laughs> you know, I was wondering that, too, but I'm giving up alcohol for Lent. Because so. <laughs> there are people going, have you ever done the beer fast? I'm like, no, it sounds good, but, you know, you go on a liquid diet after a couple of days. You're like, yeah, I don't know. All right, Matthew, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthew, thank you for the website, the the um, 1peter5.com forward slash fast. Try to agree to at least the tier one fast. Uh, I will let you know my progress. Excellent. I hope to see you in the group. And if we can help you or anybody else, we're happy to do so. Just always do it in the state of grace. Offer it up for God's glory and for those intentions. Help support each other. And then I've been doing this now for several years. Thanks be to God. It makes Easter so much more joyful. I understand now why, if you look at uh, at uh, studies, what is people's favorite holidays? Easter used to rank super high on that list. I now understand why Easter is my favorite holiday, because there's no joy like nonstop fasting penance, and then you hit that glory. It just, it just nothing. There's like that joy. It, you feel like you're experiencing the resurrection, really, uh, to me. So try it this year. You know, I think everybody will be generally very surprised. Great point. All right, Matthew, God bless you. Thank you very much for your work. Appreciate it. Thank you very much.